On this episode of the Explorate Podcast, Drexie and I sit down with Johnny Lumpkin, the creative director of Pavonis Interactive, the guys behind the Long War mods for XCOM and XCOM 2, and now the development studio behind Terra Invicta, a grand strategy game about the alien invasion. So stay tuned. Welcome to the Explorate Podcast. Welcome, friends, to the Explorate Podcast. I am your host, Rob, and I'm joined tonight by my co-host, Drexy. Welcome, Drexy. Hey, how's it going, Rob? It's going well, man. I'm super excited about our guest tonight. It is Johnny Lumpkin, the creative director of Pavonis Interactive. Welcome to the show, sir. Hi, thanks. Happy to be here. We're happy to have you, and there's so much to talk about. So first of all, I would like you to introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about who you are, why are you on our show, and maybe a little bit about your previous game development history. All right. Uh, yes, I'm John Lumpkin. I'm the creative director at Pavonis Interactive. Uh, I go by Johnny Lump on various forums that dates back to my AOL handle in the early 1990s and never let it go. Let's see. So I am here, I assume because uh, we have launched our Kickstarter for Terra Invicta, which is our first independent title. What we're building is a grand strategy alien invasion game. And uh, our our background is is I um, uh, before this uh, I was a modder that goes back to uh, started as a, a modder on uh, the XCOM games and in 2012 2013 we created led a team that created the Long War mod uh, which some people played and they died a lot <laughs> some and, people yeah and yeah it was it was interesting the starting I, I mean I can go back to how that started is is I played the XCOMs in the 90s, loved them. And then a friend of mine said, hey, they're doing XCOM again. And uh, so Waited came out in 2012, played it, beat it in 2012. And I, I was you know, blown away. This was wonderful. I want more. And I went to look for mods, you know, what you do after you kind of you beat the vanilla game and, and are ready to go, but you still, you still want more out of the, the game. And they're... There really wasn't much. There was one big one uh, that some guy was working on and a few other things. But the problem was nobody had really figured out how to mod the game properly. It was not set up for modding. The Even the config to get at the configuration files, which are just these you know, plain text files with numbers that you can go change. Even to change those, you had to do a little trick in the exe file which is usually pretty difficult to do and so there there wasn't much by way of mods at the time and uh for it so i was like all right well but you know set out to make it and it started out as just kind of config changes which again very basic stuff you may change like a, a you know any kind of a number that's exposed in the config to make a weapon have more damage or a bad guy have more hit points or something like that. Um, and then went out to, you know, and, and took that as far as I could. 
and um, then posted it on the Nexus, one of the big mod sites. And, you know, a few people played it and said, this is cool. And then I was kind of asking questions to the other people modding at the time, like, hey, how could we do something like changing how the interceptors work in XCOM or something like that? And everybody, you know, it's just nobody knew how. And finally, another person came out of the woodwork. She goes, but she she, she went by the handle Aminari, and she was a technical whiz and figured out really how to hex edit uh, game files for, for XCOM. And what if you don't know what that means, that is when you program a game, you know, you have code that's somewhat readable, and then a, a compiler turns that into um, bytes and bits. And, and so if you really look at it, 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 it looks like just big strings of hexadecimal, which is zero through nine and A through F. And that actually translates into workable code. But for someone to read, it's very, um, very difficult. But we found some tools to help with that. And we learned to go in and actually change the hex inside these UPK files, these Unreal files, and get the game to do different things. And from there, uh, it went on, developed some tools, other people joined up, and um, it just caught on. And I think and we had a reputation for hard, and, and it was. It was pushing like what, you know, it, it was definitely meant to be challenging and not, and, and particularly it was meant to not have one tool that can solve most of your problems. And instead, different, and, and I think instead, and, and so different tools do different things better and worse. Anyway, we ultimately had something like 60 people contributing to Long War, and that included like voice actors and, you know, coders and translators. Uh, it was great. It was amazing. It was all volunteers, made a lot of great friends. And, uh, you know, it, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Everybody was excited about it. And, and the guys at Firaxis who make XCOM tweeted about us, which was, which was a thrill. And then actually started helping us, and when we, we were adding like voice acting to the file, voice more voice acting to the game, and so we wrapped that up at the kind of around the end of 2015, and we were wrapping up, and around, and I was finishing grad school at the time as well, and that was sort of X, you know, modding XCOM was kind of a hobby to blow off steam, and so at the end of 2015, uh, 2K, which are the guys who kind of own Firaxis, the came calling and said, hey. We'd like you to help with something. And we said, that sounds neat. And they said, will you sign an NDA? And we said, okay. So after they did that, we did that. And I don't, I don't think I'm betraying any confidence here. They said, we're making XCOM 2. We're going to make it moddable. We'd like you to make some mods. And we said, cool. Will you pay us? And they said, sure. And so and, and, and we, then we said, yes. And so we formed, you know, Long War Studios and started making making mods for XCOM 2, first release day mods, and then the full Long War 2, which was a you know a Long War style overhaul of the main campaign to uh, add more to the strategy layer and just uh, kind of Long Warify XCOM 2, I guess. During all that, we had started talking about you know maybe maybe we've got enough here that we could form a studio, run a Kickstarter, and uh, try to make our own game, and that started in in around. Uh, 2015. Uh, and then, you know, when we started working on XCOM 2, it was, all right, we're going to put that aside because here's a chance to, you know, work alongside a AAA game being made, learn all about it, learn about the industry and, you know, really, really get 
I mean, just, just there's so many things. I picked like how to handle things like localization, which are translations. I, we're starting to talk about that now for Terra Invicta and just so much smarter about these kind of things you do in making a game than uh, would have otherwise been. So since then, we had, you know, in 2017, after, you know, we were wrapped up with Long War II, some some people, some players uh, kind of came out of the woodwork and said, you know, we like we like what you're doing. We think you could make a company here. And so we took on investors. And so we've and we've grown since then, and, and we've been using that. And we've had angel investors, and we've actually we've added a publisher too, Hooded Horse, which is a startup publisher that we're working closely with to build Terra Invicta. The team has changed quite a bit over the years. So we've been working on the game since 2017, about a year ago, you know, in full production. About a year ago, we ran a first kind of trailer for. For Terra Invicta, and that, it was shortly after that we met our publisher and uh, some uh, and a new investor, and we've been working like crazy the last year. Decided it's you know we've talked about a Kickstarter now for three years. It's time to do it, and that's where we are. Wow, that's uh, pretty amazing considering how multiple XCOM two is now. Just going back, yeah. So Long War Mod was the first your first step into game dev, or have you done previous stuff? Uh, well, I, I don't know if this counts. I made a Neverwinter Nights module around 2005 <laughs> that I put up there and people liked. Hold on a second. So the first thing you did was a Neverwinter's Night stuff and then you jumped into Long War? Yeah. Wow. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I had Adventure Construction set in the late 80s when I was a kid. Am I to- I, are you guys too young for that? No, I'm no, not. No, I'm old. <laughs> okay. I had that on an Apple IIc, and I made the movie Aliens on it. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. Because that's, then... that's, that was cool then. Nobody could play it except my brother. But, and uh, no, I did, all that said, I did have some formal computer science training in college, uh, 18 hours, and I, w- I did make a little space game for my friends. It was never done or worked or anything yeah i had what i had i didn't have enough for a minor but i had about 18 hours of computer science in college and this was in the early 90s so i learned uh on pascal which is a language some of you may have heard of yeah and it's a very dead language too (laughs) yes right (laughs) um that was it was really before like object-oriented programming had really taken off or anything like that so it you know it had always been a hobby kind of programming and that sort of thing. One thing that we did do in college, one of my classes was an assembler. Part of that class, we actually had to build a four-bit processor out of integrated circuits and little wires. And boy, the team I was on, was so, I was like the only non-computer science major in that class. I was a journalism major. And the team that I was on was so annoyed to have like, they figured I was dead weight. But I fixed one big problem they had in their design. So I held my own. There you go. (laughs) And now you're here. So, right. (laughs) Right. Well, so we're here to talk about Terra Invicta, although I am, I have been very curious to know more about your long war history. And it's insane to me that that was pretty much like your first real endeavor. But let's talk about Terra Invicta, which is your new grand strategy game. You are currently kickstarting it and it's close to a hundred thousand, which is almost five times what you asked for. Pretty awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. We're delighted. But could you tell me, like generally what the the gameplay flow is or what, you know, let's start with the base level. What is Terra Invicta? 
Sure. We call it a grand strategy alien invasion game. So alien invasions, obviously the plot, grand strategy. And I'm actually interested to hear your guys' thoughts on this because there's the term grand strategy gets used and the term 4X gets used. And so I'm going to lay out my theory of what those two, where the, where the space is between those two. And then you can tell me how I'm wrong. Yeah. Okay. All right. I like this I, already. <laughs> I, <laughs> I see 4X is like, I mean, that goes back to Master of Orion or, you know, and, and, you, and Civ, of course, where you start out with your initial asset, like your home world or your, your capital city is something you're going to go essentially make more of in other places. Yes. I would and, agree with that. Whereas grand strategy kind of, and, and I'm obviously I'm talking about paradox games here that that's, you know, that's, that's the dominate the market in that, in that style. That's where, and what they do is they drop you in, in the middle of sort of a living situation as opposed to, you know, like in a match of Orion, everybody's in their home world and then they start spreading out and meet, you know, whereas the paradox game will be like, or, you know, a grand strategy game will be, here's the world. You got a little part of it. Go. Yeah, so I'll agree with that. All right. Well, okay. I, I was hoping there was like a, you know, that's the definition I've been operating on. I kind of made that up. So, well, I mean, with grand strategy, you could have with 4X, sorry, everyone sort of starts just one planet. Grand strategy, you could start with a small area of a country or something, but you could have other empires that are a lot larger than you, for example. Right. So, we've, I mean, it, you know, I, and things are melding now. Nobody's trying to like, I mean, we're not trying to keep this game in a certain, you know, Terran Victor in a certain stovepipe or anything like that. And there are, you know, explore and elements to it. But where it starts you is is on Earth today. You know, the big what if is what if an alien invasion started today? So and you play that you as the player. And this is a sort of break, I think, from what a lot of games have done. You, the player, actually lead an ideology, a faction with an ideology, maybe shades of Alpha Centauri there, which a game I love. And, and I'll, I'll say there's, there's, there's a little bit of that DNA, but you're not running a country. You're running sort of an organization behind an ideology and that ideology for the sort of base game, the one we're starting, you know, that the tutorial will be on the one, the one we're sort of encouraging people to start with is the resistance, which is the Let's defend the Earth, defend humanity against what these aliens are, whatever they're up to. And you play by is sort of trying to get political power in various countries around the world. Because these nations, these countries all have all this wealth and military might and space programs. But the sort of backstory is, is the countries are too clueless to do anything without your steady hand guiding them. And so the other... AIs in the game or the other players in the game are other essentially represent other ideologies about what to do about the alien. Some want to be friends with them, which is a noble goal that'll turn out to be exceptionally difficult. There's another that worships them. There's another who uh, wants to oppose them like you do, but they're actually sort of extremists. They want to wipe them out and kill any humans who work with them. So, and then there's another group that just wants to try to take advantage of the situation. Still another that says, wow, travel to other solar systems is apparently possible. Let's do that too. So from what I've gathered so far from mm -hmm. uh, just watching the videos and stuff, not only do you have to contend with the aliens, you've also got to manage your relationships with other nations on Earth. Is That's that right. You have to sort of, you essentially try to gain political control of, of multiple nations. And 
and that may be you concentrate on the United States and Canada and, and or you work in Europe or or Asia, you're not actually geographically confined. All the countries have different sort of advantages and disadvantages. And you try to get in multiple ones and sort of they become this little, you know, they have all these resources that you use and and direct. So it's sort of direct taking control of and directing all the military, economic, scientific power that the earth has. And other factions are trying to do the same thing to advance their own goals. So how are you doing this? Are you doing this militarily or through persuasion or through politics? Or are you doing it like as a combination of all of those? Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. um, <laughs> it's good to know. So it's in some of this and, and a great, you know, we do, we want some, you know, a, a good feel of a simulation as part of it. I mean, we don't, we don't want the kinds of simulation to like rule every single decision. It's got to be fun, of course, but you know, a good kind of plausible model of how the world works underneath, I think is fun to kind of take part in and poke at and things like that. So you as the player, you do try to work sort of politically, can work militarily uh, as well. So maybe the way, I, let me frame this is like, what are your tools as the player? What are you, And you have what we call counselors, which is, that's, it's your party or your squad. And except they're not, you know, they're not swordsmen and wizards and shooters, most of them. They can be like a politician and a judge and uh, an activist. You can also have a commando and a, a military leader, an astronaut. And you build this group and you build them up. You know, you buff their stats and, and other things. And they go around the world and do missions for you. Uh, and some of these missions, they're contested. It's, um, you know, you pick what kind of mission you want to do. And maybe that's like a coup, a coup d'etat in a country that will overthrow its government and make it friendly to you, but also make the country a little bit of a mess. Moving on to the space layer of the game, mm -hmm. with the military, is it just one military or do multiple nations have different spaceships up there? Sure. So there is a military component on Earth, and that's where you use nations' armies to go invade other countries if you need to and impose regime change. And eventually there will be alien monsters and armies on Earth as well that you have to be ready for. In space, the, the next yeah, the next part of the game, once you've sort of been able to build up essentially a military space program, you start developing in space. The first step in that, and this is industrializing space, is you build habitats, which can be stations or like mining colonies. And this is a little more, a little more kind of traditional 4X that I, we were talking about before. You're expanding and, and growing and, all right, I'm going to build this kind of building on at this base and this kind of module at this hab. From there, you can start building what you're referring to, your space fleet, your warships. Those are not controlled by countries. Those are controlled directly by the factions. Sort of in our head canon, those things may have national flags on them, but really it's the factions that are driving these. So there isn't like a direct sort of nation to your space navy connection. We thought about it. We thought that was maybe a little bit too fiddly to include in a what is a complex game. And also it would be pretty easy to have your fleet suddenly switch sides if somebody comes into your nation. So your proxies, your space fleets, and your bases, you just directly run as a faction. Other factions can take them from you or blow them up, but they need to work in a very direct way to do that. 
So how large is the scope when it comes to the galaxy or to the space portion of the game? Are you talking about like, are you talking about simply industrializing our atmosphere or do you end up branching out and, you know, actually industrializing the whole solar system? So our, the map, you know, any game like this, so much is about the map, right? And our map is the solar system out to about 50 astronomical units or about 50 times the distance between Earth and the sun. That reaches a region called the uh, Kuiper Belt, right? Which you might think it's it's really kind of almost like a second asteroid belt, and it's it's what Pluto is sort of the biggest member of that, and they've since discovered a lot of things kind of similar to Pluto, but a bit smaller, and that's where all the dwarf planet debate over Pluto came from. So Pluto and a bunch of other small dwarf planets out there. So it's, you know, we model, the, the, the model of the solar system has, it's certainly not everything in the solar system, but we did set some like size thresholds. Like we're going to have every asteroid that's 200 kilometers in diameter or bigger. I hope that number's right. I think it's close. Include it. So as an option. So if you play in the sort of max busiest solar system right now, I think we have about 320 or 330 objects. And that's that's most of the big stuff between the sun and, and out to the Kuiper Belt. I could get technical with exceptions and other things, but which is a big, busy solar system. The, and there's options. You can play with less. You know, you can play with something like 60 or 70 objects. And that does actually help performance, we've noticed. So because keeping track of the positions of 320 things on ellipses, every every frame is uh, is a lot of work. For a PC, also doing other things, and and I should say this map we are putting in what are what are called orbital elements. It's basically numbers that describe something's position on a three dimensional ellipse or an ellipse in three D space, more accurately. And so when you load up the game and the date says September twenty twenty one. Uh, Earth is going to be where it is going to be in September 2021. Mars will be at its proper location. Jupiter, everything. So what you've got is just like in a you know a World War II game, you've got a map of the world, and you're thinking about all right, here's you know fr- the terrain of France and the terrain of Germany and and the Balkans and Russia and the Pacific and and where all those things are relative to each other and how long it takes to get them are all critical in one of those, you know, into in, your strategy in those types of games. And she so said, you know, if we're going to do a war in the solar system, we need that too. Earth needs to be where Earth is going to be. And Mars needs to be where Mars is going to be. And that lets us explore or will let players really explore sort of the strategic geography of the solar system. So, yeah, I've noticed that your uh, combat system, well, everything seems to be based on Newtonian physics, really, like including the ships and stuff. How did you come to that decision to, you know, um, a lot of games just have planets that are static and sure. ships just fly in straight lines without turning circles and whatnot? Right. I, it, I mean, some of it's, you know, we haven't seen this before and, and uh, out there, so we want to offer a new experience. I think some of it too is I just like, I mean, you know, any designer should say this, that you're making a game you want to play. And I have always wanted, I always liked sort of grounded science fiction 
and that's what we set out to do is we said, you know, there's no reason why we can't sort of ground this stuff. We think, I mean, what, I mean, what the long war showed and, and what we think is players are actually really hungry for, you know, these kind of rich games with, with interesting models going on inside them that you can poke at and, and whether it's sort of creating a future history on earth or having space battles that actually bear some resemblance to what a space battle might actually be like is, um, is exciting. It feels a little more authentic. It's, you know, and so, right, we've got these space battles and, and in them, you know, we just, we just lay down, we're going to, these will be based on Newtonian physics, which in practice, what that comes out to be is you've got your big spaceships and they have their big thruster on the back and weapons and they, they, and, you know, to make this sort of palatable, we came up with sort of a, a UI, a system for controlling the ships that don't make you have to sort of do constant four-dimensional math in your head or anything. You just, you have a little control. You put where you want the ship to be at a certain time and how where you want it to be facing, what direction you want its sort of nose and tail to be in. And the game has all the constraints on your ships to be, you know, and it can tell you, you know, it, it knows whether you can get there by that time or not based on your present position and velocity. And so wherever you put it, you're allowed to put it. And then you run time and the ship goes there. The thing that's different from a, like a typical uh, RTS battle is that in, in an RT, most times in RTS, when a ship reaches its destination, it just, or a tank or whatever, it stops and waits for another order and blows up stuff and anything came, that comes near it. In Newtonian physics, it keeps going. So what you're constantly doing is kind of setting future positions for all your ships. At this time, I want this ship here. At this time, I want this ship here. And so if you've seen the video, that's where you see the guy moving the little, the hands moving the little, moving the little arrows around. And it's actually comes out, you know, pretty intuitive, I think. A little different, again, if you've been trained on something like Homeworld or another RTS, where you expect your ship to go somewhere and stop until you tell it to do something else. That's not going to happen. This is more like driving tanks on ice. It just they just keep going <laughs> <laughs> until you turn them around and they and kind of thrust in the opposite direction. So, well, Johnny, yeah, can, can you help me understand the game flow? So, like, if, sure. if, if maybe I can, I can explain to you what I think the game flow is like, and maybe you can correct me. <laughs> so, it sounds like you know. In a typical paradox game fashion, you start the game off with the faction that you you you'll choose, and I I want to get into the stretch goals because it sounds like you actually will have the choice of a faction, which is pretty cool. Yeah. But, so you start as a faction, you start you know kind of working your way through influencing a variety of nations to like join your side, right? Right. And as you become more powerful, you start moving your way out into space, like around our atmosphere, and then further out, right? Yeah. And then eventually, I guess the hope or the plan would be to take on the aliens, right? Right. So you got it. And it's, you know, we're trying to get sort of, again, a plausible feeling story in future history here. And I mean, one of the fun parts of, you know, of researching this game was sort of trying to conceive of what are Earth's assets when thinking about like defending an attack from space? And so did all this research where launch facilities are and you learn that like, you know, Florida and a French Guiana and Kazakhstan are some of the most valuable places on the planet. 
because that's where our big launch facilities are. There are others in China and India and Japan and stuff and California. But so, right, you as the player, you start on Earth, you try to steer the political situation on Earth so you can build up this resource base to go to space because that's where the aliens are coming from. And then you are industrializing space. You're trying to not be reliant on boosting stuff, you know, war material stuff to build your ships up from Earth because it's expensive and hard. So this gets into sort of real world planning about asteroid mining and things like that, where you get metals off asteroids and you use that to build your fleet because once you start doing that, it's actually less expensive than having to drag it all up from the bottom of Earth's gravity well. What is going on at, while all this is happening is the aliens are doing their thing. And so I don't, you know, don't want to give away too much about their story, but they start off infiltrating on Earth. So there is, and the, the actual kind of beginning event of, of the campaign is a UFO crashes somewhere on Earth. And you go investigate it and you don't find an alien, you just find a bunch of debris. But you start studying and then strange things start happening near where the crash was. And you send your counselors, they have to be like Mulder and Scully from the X-Files and running around investigating this. And you start to discover, you know, that there is actually alien infiltrators on Earth up to no good. Meanwhile, so they're doing their thing and this is moving towards a full scale invasion. And I'm being a little evasive because, again, I don't want to give away too much of the plot, but the aliens are sort of advancing in their story as you're advancing in yours. And it will eventually lead to confrontations on Earth, on space and out and out in space. Right. So is there some sort of timer involved in this? Or like, are you aware of what's going on with them and their missions and their goals? Or, or are you just basically doing what you can and then hopefully just right. avoiding all that? <laughs> I mean, that's that's sort of like, I mean, the, the you know, in game terms, it's sort of the objective flow is discovering what they're doing. So you'll have a little, you know, you'll get some clues. Once you chase them and research them, more things become apparent. And you have to devote resources to doing this, right? I mean, this is part of your decision set on Earth is, well, I could go try to take over Argentina, or I can send this guy to go, you know, investigate this report of alien activity in southern India. And so there's the way it's set up now, you know, every every few weeks you have sort of a, it's really, it's a worker placement mechanic, if you want to use a board game term where you put your counselors around the earth and they go on various missions. And some of them are investigating the aliens, which uncover the sort of the things you're talking about. So you learn what they're up to. It's not hard to actually see what's going on in the solar system pretty early in the game too. And that's because, you know, we're trying, again, our allegiance to physics and in particular, well, our allegiance to physics, there's not, a lot of people love the idea of cloaking devices and stealth and space, and there really isn't much physics that would allow for that. So unless, you know, we're talking about just true magic stuff that nobody, that doesn't seem to fit in our understanding of real physics. So alien warship up there or an alien transport, it has a, a fusion drive and it's firing out near Neptune. We can see that we could see that now if we look knew to look for it. Uh, just because how much power those things put out and, it, you know, and it's just the fact you can't hide in space because it's cold and dark and a giant 
half terawatt fusion torch is going to be easy to see. So full credit, and some of this, a lot of our, a lot of inspiration comes from a website called Atomic Rockets. Are either of you familiar with that? Nope. No, I'm not. Oh, it's a wonderful place to go lose a few days. It's, uh, it, it's a guy, and, and it's an inspiration. He has basically tried to compile, you know, start from all the stories that everybody wants and, you know, out of, out of you know, space battles and things like that. And he, he tries to distill down what the good physics from that would be. And so, it, and there's, and it's great. It's amazing. Definitely check it out. And, he, and he's gotten, you know, he, he sends emails to scientists like uh, about how, I don't know, how a laser would work in, in space or why you need, you know, why you need radiators in space. And every spaceship that doesn't have radiators on it is kind of fake. And it's just these long essays about, uh, you know, what real sort of space exploration, conflict, warfare would look like, should look like. And we, we've definitely taken that as an inspiration. That's that's atomic rockets. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Um, so I'm thinking of each playthrough. Uh, is there a way, like with the aliens? Obviously, at some point, I don't I don't know how much you want to spoil because obviously mm-hmm. the story behind it. But will the alien attack always come at the same point of the game mm. every time, or will you be able to? I don't know, delay them depending on your decisions or how does that the game flow of the alien? Right. So there is a, I mean, you know, we've gotten actually got some questions like this, you know, and and we thought about this early on, we could do a bunch of different aliens and, you know, kind of have sort of an algorithmically generated alien and maybe their goal is to eat people or their goal is to something else. And, or we decided, you know what, we're going to focus on a single story behind the aliens, but it's a kind of story and background that that gets at what you're talking about, which is lots and lots of different kind of methods, I guess. So that you know, they have they will have us. They have a set of tools, and they are going to respond to the situation that they see on Earth and that they see unfolding in the solar system with those tools. And I've talked about a lot of them. I mean, it's whether it's infiltration and or you know, sort of overt space war and monsters and armies and things like that. So how, which ones they focus on at different times will be sort of, you know, in, in, in their judgment of what's the best way to achieve their objective. So the, so, so, so the setup will be, you know, generally similar, but the sort of how they get to where they want to be will be different. Yeah, that makes sense. And so I want to go back to the counselors because you've mentioned them a few times and mm-hmm. I know that they're a main part of this game. So yeah. can you help, help me understand how, so are you recruiting these counselors or are they assigned to you? And then I know that based on what you have, you're you're sending these counselors out to perform missions, but they right. also will come to you with certain missions as well? So they, you start out with two and you can recruit up to six and you'll have like a little pool of sort of candidates and you pick which ones sort of fit your needs. They uh, generally, yeah, their job, their main job is to do missions. And we've got something like 40 missions. Not all of them can do all the missions. That's part of why you want sort of a mixed group. So maybe you have, you know, a guy, uh, an operative is one who's kind of part somewhere between a spy and a commando does a few different things. 
and he's good at like overthrowing governments. And then you get a, a politician or a, even a celebrity and uh, we could put you guys, put you in as a celebrity. And, yes. <laughs> um, the, and you know, and the celebrity has a lot of influence, a lot of what's the persuasion stat. So they can go to Canada and make a big to do about how the aliens are a threat. And then Canada, you know, starts to join the resistance in terms of they can also, but there are, they, they can go out into space too and do things at HABs habitats and and even on on ships as well so they're your sort of direct kind of proxies and tools along with the other things that you can sort of directly control which would be armies and fleets and habs so say your mission or your goals change mm-hmm. you'd be able to like fire a couple of these counselors and maybe hire oh, sure ones? Yeah. yep okay and they can uh, they can find themselves assassinated by other factions they can uh, in fact, betray you and give all your information to another faction. Of course, you can get somebody in another faction to betray that faction, and then you get to see what that faction is up to. That and sounds a, a little like Crusader Kings in the way that there's a lot of character interaction. It's uh, we're, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the nice things about it. And I have now I've played a lot of Paradox games. I'm mostly a Stellaris and Victoria two player, which is probably an unusual combination. It is. <laughs> um, the, um, but it is one of the nice things, the, the counselors and why that was a, a real good thing to add to the game is it does sort of put a kind of personal touch. You have, you know, you have the face on the screen looking at you. You're not just interacting with sort of these, these non, you know, these game elements that are abstract representations of big groups of humans or something like that. It's, these are your your people doing your missions missions you want them to do out there. What was funny is we were out there on you know we've been promoting on Twitter and uh, we put up a, an image that we took of the counselor screen where you look at all your counselors at the same time and you know you can click on them to go manage some of their individual um, stats and um, things called orgs, which is basically it's basically their gear um, except instead of a sword or a gun they their gear is like the CIA. Um, but anyway, so we had this screen up with, with, you know, all a, a full faction council with six guys, six, six counselors on it from all over the world, different jobs and all that. And somebody said, boy, that really looks like what I've seen a lot lately, which is a zoom call. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems like um, you seem to be doing a lot better job of the grand strategy side of, things compared to say Stellaris, which in our opinion kind of hasn't really got there. Yeah, I think, um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm never one to criticize another game out there or anything. I, I think, right. Stellaris has a lot of kind of forex, you know, in, in the, in the, the way I set up the distinction, it, it has a lot of more forex angle. Um, I think, um, one thing that, that I, I did actually like, that Stellaris tries to do with the stories, you know, that it tells it kinds of tries to be kind of a space opera generator. Um, and you know, different, you might have different opinion how successful it is, but I, I did, I did like that angle, um, compared to something, you know, some of these older games where it's, it's get a planet, build a planet and all that. They, they did try to put some narrative in it, which is fun. 
So, and we, we're, we're, we're doing, so we do want this kind of narrative stories, you know, uh, that pop up with interesting decisions that you have to face. Um, and that is, uh, something we're going to actually start putting a lot of energy into is developing these narrative chains that run alongside gameplay. Um, this sort of typical gameplay I've been describing where you interact with your proxies and make them do things. Um, so that that's actually a job we're hiring for right now. Hey, all right. <laughs> Just a little, yeah, if you want to come work with Pavonis, then come on in. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so I had a question about your research. So I read your dev yeah. diary about research, and it sounds like you're doing something pretty unique. Could you just describe it for us? Oh, sure. So, and that was that was today's dev diary. And yes, I wanted to get away from, again, the sort of typical path and um, it's a typical path where you have one tech, you put all your research into it. When it's done, you go on to the next tech. And um, every little sort of player in the game, AI or country or empire, just sticks to their own tech tree and, and picks one and, and all that. Um, and I thought, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't feel... Uh, quite right in the way science works in the modern world. Um, I also wanted to kind of distinguish between sort of pure science and engineering and finally wanted to create some interesting interactions that get into stuff that game theorists call like the prisoner's dilemma and free rider problem to kind of mix up sort of the motivations and decisions you have to make uh, a little more than just, um, I'm deficient in laser tech, so I'm going to explore, I'm going to research advanced lasers now. Um, so what what that is, is, is there is um, two sort of broad avenues of research, and that's essentially research or science and engineering. Um, I may mix some of these terms up, but, and science is done globally and collectively by all the human factions. Each faction kind of can build up their resource, you know, their research income from from nations they control and uh, from space stations and bases they build, and and even their counselors can provide research directly. And then there's there's three broad scientific principles the Earth is investigating at a given time, and you pick, you distribute your research income between them, so you can put, you know. And so, and all the factions do this. So you see what the other factions are spending on. And maybe one faction is working on lasers and you're like, well, you know what? I'd like lasers soon too. So I'm going to help out in that. And another faction is working on these kind of like uh, social science technologies that help you influence people. And you think that's scary. I'm going to stay away from that. And then still another is like researching basically mission to Mars, how we can colonize Mars. And so a, a lot, and so the whole world kind of moves together with these big principles. Now you have ways to steer that by contributing. And then also if, if you are, if you sort of contribute the most to a given tech, then you get to pick what the world does next. But you also, some of this, you know, precious re research resource goes into private stuff that is specific to your faction. And that is engineering. And you can be doing between one and three engineering projects at a time and uh, these are very specific things. This might be a weapon system for your spaceships. Uh, it might be a sort of a, a, a social science 
project that create you know is for a, a sort of united North American nation. And so if you play your the political game right, then suddenly the United States, Canada, and Mexico and Caribbean all combine into a big kind of super nation. And so there's fun kind of future history pieces, things like that that can come out of the research system. So if um and now you still want to be incentivized to kind of divide up your research. And so you build up a lot of bonuses in particular categories and to maximize the sort of like you're maybe got all these bonuses in space science tech or in military science. So you want to always to be able to maximize the use of those. You need to be working on a, a military science tech. So you want to spread out, have different things going on in different places. And again, that feels like research in the real world. Um, these, these global texts that everybody works on together is kind of, I mean, that's, you know, a lot of science now is done in the open. It's done in research journals and academic conferences and things like that. It's the taking those discoveries and turning them into a product is what's sort of done privately and, and secretively. Um, so we want to simulate that as well. Uh, again, just trying to kind of mess with the almost a trope now of I'm going to work on metallurgy next. And then after that, you know, religion or something, um, but sort of have all these things moving on different tracks uh, at once. So, so correct me if I'm wrong, but what I'm getting is that everyone in the world is researching various texts and you allocate some of your funds to maybe, f you know, afford some of these texts that, that you're more interested in. Right. But so like basically every faction will have access to these, these technologies that you end up developing right. uh, world, worldwide. But then what you do with them, wh what you engineer with those technologies is where the exclusivity comes in. Exactly. And it's, and, and it's those projects most for the most part are the things that have a direct impact on the game. Um, the, the broad Texts are more. You've on, you know, this this we're figuring out a principle, and then these projects unlock when it's done. So you could, and like one of our early testers, he just kept doing this. Um, you can try to free ride off the world, and that is you don't <laughs> contribute at all to the public stuff. You just work on yourself, you know, and see, and that's that's a kind of rich like free rider problem that that's just i love that you know because and maybe and the ai might pull it too you know because that has an effect you're taking this sort of short-term advantage but the whole world's research is slowing down because of that and um you know maybe some some factions want that maybe some factions want that but that means it's going to be harder to get deep into the tech tree to unlock these really advanced things that you may ultimately need to fight the aliens. It it also, um, you know, you don't get to pick future tech directions. I mean, that's sort of the incentive to invest is you get to kind of guide where technology, you know, where, where the broad global research goes as well. So, you know, just a good kind of meaty trade off. I that's that's for me, fun to create as a designer. That's really cool. That's actually like really uh, real world. Like, like for example, I was uh, watching a video the, uh, the other day about they're building a nuclear fusion reactor in France, I believe, but there's like everyone's involved, China, America. Right. So, yeah, it seems very similar to that. Two things I've, I've, I've looking at your tech tree is um, life science, which is biology and space survival. Right. And then xenology, which is study of aliens. And you also mentioned about colonizing other planets. Mm -hmm. um, what's the importance of that? And does being being able to colonize those 
via science. So basically, are you like um, maybe changing humans to become more like uh, aliens? Or? There is there there is a little bit of that stuff deep in the tech tree. Um, it's more kind of in the realm of uh, there's things like you know cybernetics and and some kind of genetic engineering. It's we're not kind of if you're kind of talking about sort of like transhumanist stuff it's not really going that far it's um more i mean we talk about like so there's like there is a mission to mars and that's really just sort of a tech gate that unlocks mars for you to start building bases on and and i should say that and this is again this goes kind of a sort of right like we talk about a 4x game you start with your home world and it is basically a very developed colony planet and you go create other colony planets and you build those up and, you know, 80 years in the game, they're as good as your home world. And that's not what we have. I kind of have these DLC dreams of having like polities on Mars and on the asteroids, but here earth with 7 billion people is one kind of thing that you manage out there. You have your habitats and they're a different kind of thing to manage. And those are always enclosed. And those, you know, at most, maybe thousands of people on them. It just has to be in sort of a different kind of development paradigm than Earth is. And that's different, again, like from 4X games, right? Where you just, all planets are basically the same. You just start with one that's built up. So, and you just can't really do sort of near future colonization of the solar system. You know, basically starting now and ending up you know, in kind of the expanse, you can't really do that in a, in a standard forex paradigm. Sorry. Does that all make sense? I'm getting a little... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay, good. Great. Good. That's really exciting. So moving on, um, can you discuss a bit about the uh, space combat? Because I've noticed you've got quite an extensive, like, uh, ship design. Sure. Uh, I mean, you got to have that. Yeah, uh, yeah of course. <laughs> um, so first I would say... Um, and this is coming from XCOM, right? Where XCOM is probably 10 to 20% in the strategy layer. And it's all about tactical, the tactical layer. The long wars pushed more of that into the strategy layer. I think we, we had your strategy layer choices set up stuff in the tactical layer, a great, you know, a, a bit more. And then things in the tactical layer kind of swing back and hit the strategy layer more. We're not 2080 like that. We're more... Terra Invicta is more like, I really, I say the old Master of Orions, where you spend a lot, most of what you do is in the strategy layer, but there is a good, intense tactical layer that, you know, is a meaningful chunk of the game. So we do have sort of a, we've got a ship designer and you, we want, you know, you build ship classes out of whatever tech you've developed, and then you manufacture those ships at your space stations and even on planets, uh, assemble fleets. And we are building, this is one of the things that's not done yet. And while we can't say we're at an alpha yet, but we're building a pretty realistic model of a interplanetary space travel under the hood, which is some nasty math and uh, trying to hit, you know, one thing moving on an ellipse to another thing moving on an ellipse and then having, you know, giving the player a whole bunch of options, trading off fuel consumption for time of arrival. It's doable. Um, it is uh, uh, not simple coding. We actually have a guy who's working on offloading the calculations to the GPU, which is the same way Bitcoin works, just so it's performant, you know, can make all these calculations quickly. Anyhow, so that's really a space strategy layer. You're moving your fleets around. 
these these trips with your fleets too, they can take months. So it's not assembling a doom stack and just romping the solar system. Things are far apart and they take a while to get around, get around. So you have to worry about defending your assets in different places. I am not I, I want to see how this develops in testing. I suspect you might end some end up with something that's sort of similar similar to um, uh, I don't know. You guys read read like Master and Commander, old Napoleonic warfare era warfare naval stories. A little bit, yeah. I mean, uh, I was wondering whether with the, the ships, is it just well, how many? Like, well, I'm not sure if you've decided, but yeah, what's the roles of the ships? Is there like support ships and Sure. Um, so most of you, the ships you build, um, I'm going to finish my last thought and I'll, and I'll say what we're expecting is there'll be a lot of activity around Earth, kind of like in the Napoleonic Wars. There was a lot of activity, you know, just between Britain and France and in the Mediterranean, very close to the home countries, but also ships ranging out all over the world, running into each other and having conflicts. I kind of wonder if the game on the, you know, the, the strategy management of your fleets is going to be like that. Now, your question, ships, roles, the ship design, there is going to be up to 12 holes, and that's from gunships to titans. On the human side, aliens have a few other things up their sleeve. And when you assemble them, I mean, there's the difference between them is essentially, you know, weapon mounts and then utility slots. And you can kind of set a ship's role through what you kind of put in the utility slots. So you can have a ship that's more oriented towards science and colonization based on the modules it has. It has these little like HAB setup kits. You can also launch HABs directly from Earth by spending your boost resource. And that's that's more abstracted. It's, um, you know, you want to launch a space station around the moon. You spend some stuff from Earth and in a month or so it appears around there. They have to build it and then launch it and it gets there in a few days. And then you have a new space station you can start building. Your ships can do that job too with the modules they have in them and they'll in, the, eventually they'll be more efficient and quicker in doing them. So mostly, I mean, they're built around combat. The sort of support like refueling and things that you want to do at HABs, there's propellant, you set up propellant depots around the solar system so you can have enough juice to fight and fly other places. Right, so the um, seems like the importance is to build enough bases for like refueling that. Unlike, yeah. say, Sword of the Stars, which I did mention ages ago to you, and you said you never heard of it. But with that which game, you had to Sword of the Stars. Sword of the Stars. To, yeah, I you had to um, have refueling ships fly with your fleet in that game. Gotcha. Right, um, and that's something we're going to look at is like having you know propellant tankers and that sort of thing. The, the difficulty in, in sort of in space is when you're hauling propellant around, it's <laughs> if, if, you know, um, it'll probably, it, it'll be what you, it'll be what you, you know, you'll need it <laughs> to get to yourself. Um, so, but, you know, stuff like propellant sharing in mid flight is, is, a, it's kind of on the list to figure out, I guess. So basically, you, well, I, I actually like that idea of sort of having four bases and having to plan out where you need to, Go around right. the system. Uh, talking of the bases, will they have defenses, or will you have to have a defense fleet with the base? The base they can have defenses. Bases. So the the end game nomenclature is there's habs or habitats, and that's a catch all term for stations and bases. And stations are things in orbits, and bases are on surfaces. As gameplay elements, they're very similar. 
at bases, you can build mines that give you space resources, which are critically important to the game. But for the most part, you can do a lot of the same things at either one, which is build labs, build space shipyards, and defenses. And that can be, you know, Marines, and it can also be weaponry. For stations, uh, those actually go into the combat layer and fight. And they sit still, but they fight. And in the combat layer, you know, the, the attacking ships essentially want to disable the weaponry on the station. And once you've done that and you beat all the other ships, you've won the battle. You go back to the strategy layer and then you decide what you want to do with that station, which can be seize it with troops or blow it up. Sorry, I wanted to ask you um yeah. So is the actual ground combat or is it all based around ships? So ground combat, it's it's generally going to be uh, pretty abstracted. So there is, on Earth, there is one set of, there are full armies modeled and they drive around and conquer countries like you would expect armies to do. Out in space where there's not that near, nearly as many people and there's it's more essentially small unit actions and those are generally, they're abstracted into essentially a die roll. They're missions or things we call operations. And, you know, you spend resources to do, do them better and you can capture things. But at the sort of the scale of the game, drilling in any deeper than that would make the game insanely large. Like if you've got a base on Mars and a nearby base belongs to another faction, you can actually send your troops over to attack it and take it over. I think... This is getting into some design stuff I was working on recently. I think you need to have a counselor to be able to do that. There are cases where a ship by itself can seize a hab if it has Marines on board. This is getting kind of down into some fiddly rules that we have to make the game work. But yes, there is sort of warfare with Marines and that sort of thing out in space. Ships are a big driver of it, but your counselors being out there can be as well. And having, you know, a base of troops to use in different places is also part of that calculus. Well, Johnny, I'm not going to lie. I went into this episode extremely hyped about Terra Invicta, and I am going to be leaving this podcast even more hyped. Thank you. I don't don't know that I can contain my hype because I feel like in a lot of ways, this is the game that I've wanted to play for a long time and didn't know until you started talking about it. So, Well, thank you. Yeah, I am so super hyped for this because the whole... Forex and uh, grand strategy has been really still recently, and you've you've just got so many ideas, and my brain's just whoosh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this this is what I've been looking for some new, fresh, and not just weird ideas. It's been very. I can tell you thought about all this a lot. It's like wow, and I'm so glad your uh, Kickstarter is going so well. I Thank mean, you're you. almost up to 100k. I was like, yep. and you still yep. got like what 25, 26, 25 days to go. Uh, we do 22 days to go. And uh, I'll tell you, I've never done a Kickstarter before. I imagine it's a little bit like what a drug is like. <laughs> you, you watch it and then the little, the little dollar number goes up and you get this little burst of dopamine and, you know, somebody likes it. <laughs> and then, and then you know, you watch it, you know, and you're like doing other things. You glance back and, you know, and do 10 minutes. Oh, it hasn't gone up. Oh, no. Somebody said something on a forum somewhere, and now nobody likes it. Oh God, it's hopeless. I'm, I gotta go stress eat and hit F five and reload. <laughs> and somebody fudges, and it's uh, so. Well, I loaded a Kickstarter page at the start of this podcast, and I've just looked back on it, and the counter went up one k. 
within the hour or so we've been doing this. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's a heady experience. Um, and it's, it's great. I mean, we, you know, you, we work on this game and we, we feel like we've got something, something good. We know we got a lot of work to do to get it, you know, up to first to alpha and then into beta and all the, getting all the content. There's, there's a lot left to do, but, but everybody, you know, internally are excited about the idea. We all, all the team, we talk to each other. Okay. We think this is good. We think this will work. We got this, but you put it out there and you just, don't know until people see it and respond to it. And we have been just thrilled by the response. It's great. So it's, um, it's, it's been a, a wonderful and tiring week so far since we launched. <laughs> so for those who have not batched yet, um, can you just go over some of the Kickstarter goals and the timeline of like alphas and beers and release? Sure. We are, I mean, in terms of, of people engaging, you know, if, if people want to pledge and, and get at the game early, we are estimating targeting a release next summer. And that's, uh, let's see, our estimated delivery on there says August 2021. Beta is scheduled for, it's a closed beta, but people who pledge can get in on it. And that we're targeting that in March. And then the alpha which is, you know, that's the feature complete state. That's where we've got all the main systems in. Now it's time to start playing them and making them work together and making sure every part of the game is as fun as it can be. We're targeting that for December. And that does, you know, that does mean the game is, a, is far along. A lot of these things I'm talking about work. Again, I mean, the big areas are big areas of concentration now are getting the the very mathy space trajectory stuff up to sort of a complete feature state and AI, which is going to be a, a constant thing we're going to work on. The, the AI right now knows how to use most of its tools. To some degree, we've got to get it to where it's using its tools together and planning. And actually, so that's our, our lead dev is uh, focusing exclusive, almost exclusively on AI now, except when I bug him with some other problem to get that, to get that going, because a, a lot of fun in the game, it's, it's going to be, you know, the, the, how the AI can surprise you and, and things like that. Uh, this guy, he worked on the AI for Cuphead. We know he's good at challenging players and telling good stories through AI. So that's, uh, that's kind of the, the state where we are now, you know, the Kickstarter, uh, we did get some questions, you know, our initial goal was about 20,000 and you obviously can't make a game like this for that. We are funded and through our publisher and our investors, this though, that what we've been seeing is, is going to let us do a lot of things we weren't sure we were going to be able to do or, or probably couldn't do. So, I mean, we hit our, we, our first stretch goal. We actually, after the, the campaign took off and we were getting such a good response, we got back to it was like, all right, we need to sort of evaluate all our stretch goals in light of what's going on. And by the time we put our post together for the first one, which is to allow you to play as all the other, any of the other human factions, not just the resistance, but if you want to help the aliens take over the world, you will be able to, if you play as the servants faction, or if you just want to be these nasty guys and conquer the world yourself, you can be the initiative or try to build a spaceship to escape the solar system. You can be project Exodus. That was our first stretch goal. We hit that, you know, just right after we got the the little stretch goal graphic together and put it up. So our director was playing with Photoshop well into the night to get it set up and put up there. 
so that went up. And then our next one uh, that we are closing in on is uh, a new set of ship models. So when you're playing as a human faction, you can, there's be kind of two different styles to pick from. So there'll be, you know, the side, the set that we've almost finished in the game, and then there'll be a new one. Our art director gets to make, which is great. Cause I think his favorite thing in the world is drawing spaceships. <laughs> so are you willing to tell us what the next stretch goal might be? It is, I, I, I will. It is going to be an alternate start scenario. And that means it's, going to be a different earth and different solar system when the invasion starts and we're actually running a poll on our discord to see what people are most interested in and the current leader is doing a cold war scenario so the alien invasion starts i'd have to pick out the year or something the alien invasion starts in the 70s or 1980 and so it'll be a you know a different situation on earth different geopolitics on earth some of this is i mean I, i've talked about this a little bit there's, we've made this big model of geopolitics and solar system and all that. And it's big enough now that we give the AI some goals and we kind of watch what happens. And so, and it's, it's really kind of, it's fun and interesting seeing things happen in the world that we didn't script, but still feel like, okay, this is plausible, you know? In one game, North Korea blew up my hometown of Dallas, Texas. <laughs> well, whilst I've got you here, I, I yeah. want to um, push my own little ideas into a game. If if everything goes well and you do release a DLC, mm-hmm. I would love to see a DLC of after you've beat, beaten the aliens out of the solar system, maybe sold, stolen some of their tech, mm-hmm. actually invading their so- home world. I don't know if that's a DLC or Terra Invicta 2. We'd have to be. <laughs> uh, but that is reversing the storyline would um, is, is certainly something people have mentioned to us, uh, either in the context of what you just said or as can I play as the alien? Right. Yeah. And that is something I'm aware of. That's that would take some doing to get there, but I'm not I'm neither sort of ruling it out nor promising it it's just there's there's some way the aliens play the game that is important for the, the ai to do to kind of stage the game i get you know help the game move along in stages that i don't know how fun that is for a human player to do in other words what what's the, <laughs> what's the oh what's the word from mmos where you have to right the, right. the, the alien ai has to grind a little bit yeah and um we'd have to and and that's really to again keep the game going and not hard stages, but but they have to do a little grinding. So they we'd have to find a way to make that fun. And there's numbers that the the aliens worry about that we don't have any UI for. So it's just a a, a design and programming task that's not not impossible. Just a little more work than some of the things we're talking about. So, so yeah, that, that, but I won't, as I say, I'm not ruling that out. You could create another solar system in this game. And it's cause it's all just, it's, a lot of the game is data driven, which may sound boring and make you roll your eyes. But what that actually means is it's pretty moddable. You can, you know, if, if you wanted to, I don't know, add a new moon around Jupiter or reorganize the solar system, you can do that in, in, data files called JSON files that you can mod in a text editor. You know, I'm an old modder myself. And, and so we, we try to make this game as moddable, moddable as we can. We're going to explore sort of deeper modding 
opening up capabilities for people to kind of get more at the code part, but that's something we need to figure out. We're not, we have not solved that yet because software development is complicated and hard. <laughs> yeah, no, I, my hat's off to you and to the modders and I'm glad to hear about the mods because I feel like that's where your roots came from. And oh, yeah. Yeah. So, hey, Johnny, I really, really appreciate you coming out and speaking to us about this game. I, like I said, I came into this pretty hyped. I am leaving this even more hyped. I am extremely excited about the future possibilities of Terra Invicta. And we wish you the best of luck with the, the last, well, last, what, like year of development. Yep. Well, I'm sure they'll be after that because just like the Long Wars, they'll be, and somebody will find a way to, solve all their problems with one tool and want to go back and balance it and, you know get a lot of hate yeah. mail <laughs> yeah well I, I i'm really excited myself because i did back at the alpha tester level because i am just that excited about this game and awesome. i look forward to yeah just you know mind dumping you with all of my feedback so <laughs> i'm sorry ahead of time no no we are delighted and really though i mean it's it's serious in, in all seriousness we engaged the alpha testers and, and the beta testers. We want, we, this isn't, you guys are doing us a favor. You know, it's, it's part of why the long wars were so successful is all the feedback we got. And that those people, we had, we had people playing it, engaging with the story, engaging with the challenges, the choice, the strategies, and saying, hey, this worked, this didn't work. And all that kind of comes together and I can, you know, take it in and like, all right, here's what's going on in the game. Here's what I can adjust to make it more fun, create cooler, you know, more difficult decisions. It isn't, you know, it's really is two ways. So we're really looking forward to the alpha test and getting you guys in there and, and messing around and breaking stuff. And because that really will lead to a better game. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited about December. Hopefully you, you make that. <laughs> but uh, anyways, again, Johnny, thank you so much for being here. And we again, we wish you the best of luck going forward. And until next time, this was Rob Drexy and Johnny Lump or right. from Pavonis Interactive. We will talk to you guys soon. All right. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Absolutely. We're glad to have you and hopefully we will, uh, maybe we'll be able to check back in with you in a year or maybe six, seven months and see how things are going. Works for me. Excellent. Great. Thanks for being here. And until next time, keep exploring, guys.